Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 60th program in this series. I'm in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and this is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. When Lazarus was sick before he died, his sisters sent a message to Jesus where Jesus was at. And this is found in John chapter 11, verse 3, where it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They sent a message to Jesus because they could tell that this sickness was quite serious, and they were very concerned about Lazarus. Sure enough, Lazarus died, but this was an opportunity for Jesus to go and heal him before he died. Instead of going promptly in order to heal Lazarus from the sickness that he was experiencing, Jesus waited two more days. He waited until Lazarus was dead, and then he traveled to Bethany in order to meet with Martha and Mary and to deal with the situation later. When he arrived to the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus had been dead four days. And the significance of this has to do with the Pharisaical belief that if a person is dead, they can still be resuscitated within a three-day period of time. That was a belief that the people had at this time. And so Jesus waited until the fourth day so that when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, the people would have to acknowledge by their own beliefs that this was a divine healing, a divine intervention. Jesus resurrected people from the dead already, But they were not dead for this amount of time. Jesus also told the people to keep it a secret and not let a lot of people know that he did that. So this miracle is a little bit unique in comparison with the other ones that he performed previously. But Jesus did not respond to the message that Martha and Mary sent to him. After Lazarus was dead, then Jesus traveled to go and see Martha and Mary. In verse 20, in John chapter 11, verse 20, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I explained in the previous program that this is an inappropriate way for Martha to communicate with Jesus. What she has effectively told him is that it's his fault that Lazarus died. 
Jesus was given plenty of notice. Martha sent a message to him to let him know that there was a serious problem with Lazarus, and Jesus had enough time to travel to where Lazarus was. He had enough time to heal him before he died. So, because he didn't do that, Jesus decided not to do that. It's now Jesus's fault that Lazarus is dead. That is what Martha says to him when she sees him, and I explained this in the previous program that this is an inappropriate way for her to communicate with Jesus. Just because he could have done something doesn't mean that it was his fault. It means that he decided not to do it. He decided not to heal Lazarus in the way that Martha wanted him to, and he is free. To make that kind of decision, she does not have the authority to tell him what he is going to do and what he's not going to do. She does not have that authority. He has that authority, and when he makes a decision, he makes a good decision. If he decides not to intervene in a situation like this, it's because he's got a good reason as to why. He will not intervene, and he does not have to tell Martha what his reasons are. He never has to disclose to us why he intervenes or why he does not intervene. He is God, and he can make those decisions without our approval, without our permission. And God does make these kinds of decisions according to what is in His. Best interest, what is in his best interest, and he has many interests. There are many things that he is doing. There are many objectives that God has, and he will decide what he's going to do according to those objectives. If healing someone, if resurrecting someone from the dead, even. Will interfere with the objectives that he has in a way that he doesn't feel is acceptable. Then he will not intervene in these ways, and we do not have the right to pass judgment against God and decide for Him what He should do, what He should not do, when He should do what we think He should do or not. That is not our place in this universe. That is not our place in this world. And he will never relinquish his authority to decide what he will do and when or why. But this is not how Martha communicated with him. She went to him and she told him, "It's your fault. Lazarus is dead because of you. If you had been here, he would not be dead." And you had plenty of time to get here, but don't worry. In verse twenty-two, John chapter eleven, verse twenty-two, Martha says, "But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you." In this way, Martha is saying, "Don't worry. There's an opportunity for you to redeem yourself. You can do something about it now." Martha believed. That Jesus could have done something about it. She believed 
that Jesus could resurrect Lazarus from the dead. And the way that she is communicating with him is a form of manipulation. It is a form of blackmail, in effect, telling Jesus, you failed. So because you failed, you will now do this because you failed. Or we will not believe in you anymore. We will suggest that God will not hear from you. He will not do whatever you ask, that you are not of God. That was the subtle threat behind Martha's blackmail against Jesus. Now, the way that Jesus responded to her was to effectively tell her that he is the one who will decide who is resurrected and who isn't resurrected. This conversation does not go the way that Martha thought that it would go. He does not comply with her demand in the way that she thought he would. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, which is a subtle way of saying, if you fail now, we know that there is eternity. We'll deal with that. So Jesus is not done with this conversation. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her a direct question, and I explained in the previous program that she did not answer this question. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That's as far as she's willing to go. It's a subtle way of saying, you want me to believe that you are the resurrection and the life? You do what I say. You go and you fix this right now. You go and resurrect Lazarus from the dead right now. That's what you need to do. But he doesn't go do it. He doesn't do that. He does not comply with what she expects of him. So in verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Now, we don't know if Jesus actually sent Martha to go and call Mary. We know that this is what she said. But we don't know that this is what Jesus said. What we do know is what happens next. What happens next is that Mary goes to Jesus. So first Martha went to Jesus and tried to get him to resurrect Lazarus. Obviously he's not going to comply with Martha. So she goes and she gets Mary to see if Mary might be able to encourage Jesus to go and resurrect Lazarus. So continuing into verse 30, John chapter 11, verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. He stayed right there. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, 
The same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing. It's another way of saying, it's your fault. And I am crying. I am upset. You have hurt me. This is your doing. You did this to me. You did this to my brother. You have failed us. And I am here to inform you that you have failed us. And not only that, but this is a public declaration that you have failed because I have brought all these people who are mourning with me. And they also now know, because I have said so, they also know that it's your fault that you could have done something and you didn't do what we told you to do. Therefore, in verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And a better translation of this would be, he was filled with indignation in his spirit. Folks, he was angry. He was angry. Why was he angry? Why would he be upset? Why would he be filled with indignation? He arrived. He's there in order to perform a miracle that will bring glory to God. That's what he's there for. He knows what he's going to do. Why would he be so upset? The reason why he was angry, the reason why he was filled with indignation, was because of the way the people were relating to him. They were demanding that the relationship between he and them would be defined according to what he would do for them. That he could do these kinds of things for them. He could keep people from dying. He could resurrect people from the dead. He could heal people who needed healing. So he better fulfill his responsibility to their community and do these things. And he does not want to have this kind of relationship with them. The kind of relationship where he exists to do these kinds of things for them. He certainly will do things for them. He has. He will. But he wants a better relationship with these people. There will be times when he will not heal people. And he wants a relationship such that he doesn't have to. So that if there are sufferings, if there are difficulties, he can be with these people. He can live with these people. He can walk through the difficulties of life with these people. But they are not going to allow him to have this kind of relationship with them when they relate to him in this way and demand that he heal people when they need to be healed. When they demand that he fix the problems of life that they can't fix for themselves. Jesus wants a greater kind of relationship. Our God wants to have a different kind of relationship with us. A relationship such that he can freely choose. He can freely decide if he is going to intervene 
or not, and the people will not reject him when he decides not to intervene in their lives in this way. But instead, they will still believe and trust that he loves them, that he wants what is best for them, that he will make good decisions when it comes to when he will intervene or not, and that they will believe and trust that when he does not help them, it is the better decision. That's the kind of relationship that he wants with people. That is the kind of relationship that he wants with you. But these people were not willing to have that kind of relationship with him, and it was upsetting. It was very upsetting to him. He started out with the emotions of anger, of indignation, because he wants a better relationship with them, and they are demanding something otherwise. He starts with these kinds of emotions. Our God is a God who has emotions, and he is affected by how we relate to him. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us such that he is vulnerable to us and we are vulnerable to him and that we can experience an emotional connection with one another. This is something that he desires. So what does he do? In verse 34, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So what does Jesus do? In verse 35, Jesus wept. He cried. He goes from verse 33 of being angry and filled with indignation in his spirit. He goes from that to now he's going to cry. And I can understand why he would cry. Because now he's going to go, and he's going to go resurrect Lazarus from the dead, and these people are not going to see him in the way that he wants them to see him. This would be upsetting to him to the point that it would bring him to tears. That he wants to have a better relationship with them, But now he is going to go and resurrect Lazarus from the dead. And this is going to encourage them in a way that he doesn't want. Most of the people, if not all of these people, are then going to see him as someone who does these kinds of things in their life. And they will not accept him if he doesn't. And this would definitely be upsetting to the point of bringing Jesus to tears. Now, this was not the perception of the Jews who were with him. In verse 36, it says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? They are suggesting that Jesus is in tears because He was upset about Lazarus being dead. But folks, he's on his way to go and resurrect him. He has a solution. He should go with boldness, with intention, with conviction, not with tears. 
He was not going there with tears. Jesus was not crying because he felt so bad that Lazarus died. He was crying because these people are about to have another reason. Why? They will not have the kind of relationship with him that he wants. That's what's going on here, folks. That's why he's in tears. Why he goes from indignation to tears. Because he's going to go and do this, and the end result is not going to be what he genuinely wants. Nevertheless, he's going to do it anyway. Maybe someone will one day see that there is a relationship he wants that very few will want to have with him. And that those who do will be unique. They will be special. They will be the kinds of people who he will bond with in a way that is greater than any other. So in verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself. Again, now going back to the indignation in the spirit, going back to being angry. So he was angry, and then he goes to tears, and now he's angry again. This is a very emotional guy, swinging from one emotion to the next. And he goes to the tomb. It says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? In other words, just do it. Do it anyway. Do you believe me or not? Just before you sent Mary and all these Jews to come and complain to me that it's all my fault, Well, here we are. Just before that, you said, God would hear me. Come on, do you believe me or do you not believe me? So, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And I would suggest because probably they could put it back if Jesus didn't succeed in resurrecting Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, if they're not going to believe me or relate to me in the way that I want, in the sense of the kind of relationship that I would like to have with them, at least We can get this. We can get them to believe that truly you have sent me. At least we can get that. So in verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. So this was good, that there were many people who believed in him, 
who did not necessarily believe in him before. They watched him resurrect Lazarus from the dead, so now there is evidence that they can believe that God sent Jesus. But there is a consequence to what Jesus did. And the consequence has to do with the reality that the people are now going to look to him more and more as a person who does these kinds of things in their lives. They are not necessarily going to see him as a person who will walk through the struggles of life with them, who will be with them through the sufferings that they experience, instead of a person who will be with them through the challenges and the difficulties and the problems of life, they will see him more as a person who exists to solve the problems of life that they are faced with. And this can be an unfortunate consequence because our God wants something greater in a relationship with us. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 60th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I gave an explanation of Jesus' emotions that he expressed in John chapter 11, verse 33, 35, and 38. In verse 33, Jesus expressed a groaning in the sense that he experienced great indignation in his spirit. This was also expressed in verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, expressing a sense of indignation and anger. And in between was verse 35, where Jesus wept. This was the response. This was the emotional response of Jesus to the way that the people were relating to him with regards to Lazarus getting sick and dying that he wanted a greater relationship with them than what they were wanting to have with him. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,